Welcome back to another episode of the Pandemic Job Hunt. This podcast aims to break down key techniques and to uncover the industry secrets to help you stand out in getting a job during this once-in-a-lifetime pandemic we are living in. And I am your host, Andrew Barry. I had the pleasure of interviewing Harris Mahmood for this episode of the Pandemic Job Hunt. He is the National Manager for Talent Attraction at KPMG Digital, which overlooks KPMG Lighthouse, which is the data analytics and AI arm of KPMG. We discussed a wide variety of topics from recruiting during the pandemic, how to best network in this day and age, job hunting in the data science field, as well as the state of data science and data analytics in Canada. Without further ado, let's begin. Hey, Harris, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Andrew. How are you? <laughs> I am doing well. So, Harris, uh, what have you been up to lately? Lately, um, working from home, mm-hmm. um, taking a lot of uh, Zoom and team calls. Um, mm-hmm. You know, doing all of the all of those things. But uh, in general, yeah, just been um, you know things kind of drastically changed on the recruitment front, uh, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, uh, yeah. when COVID kind of hit us and took a big pause and. Um, you know, first couple of months into into the lockdown were from a business standpoint so unclear mm-hmm. that um, the firm that I work for and just the industry in general, everyone went mm-hmm. on a kind of a pause. And now I'm, I'm getting a feeling that there's um, we're maybe getting out of the the gray clouds, which is which is promising. So yeah, yeah I remember. Uh, I think it was April or end of March. Um, a lot of tech companies out there just halted their their hiring. And uh, there's a lot of uncertainty going on. And I think I think it scared a lot of people. And a lot of people got laid off. I knew a lot of friends who got laid off. And um, the first three months was a bit bleak. Uh, but I think yeah. around July, June, that's when I started seeing posting uh, ticking up. Uh, more and more tech companies are posting more position. And it seems like it's getting back to normal. And right now in September and October, I've, I've noticed there's a lot of postings every single week on all kinds of jobs. So it's been, it's, it, look, it looks pretty good. So uh, I have a question. So at your role uh, at the company you work for, did you stop hiring right away? And was it, what, what was the initial response to the COVID pandemic and the transition to working from home? Yeah, um, we're the first, the second part of your question, I can answer first. So uh, the working from home piece for like my employer and mm-hmm. also like just I think that large technology companies um, was fairly um, that was kind of seamless because I mean I mm-hmm. I wasn't working from home five days a week, but if I had to, I could and it wasn't really mm-hmm. a big deal. And things were kind of already virtual um, mm-hmm. to an extent and like meetings and things like that. Um, so that transition wasn't overly complex, I don't think, for me or for mm-hmm. the rest of the rest of the firm. Um, what I do think was was tough is um, on a personal level for myself, mm-hmm. but also for people to like manage what that looks like, yeah. right? Like all of a sudden, you're not just working from home, but like for those that have kids, your kids are at home, and yeah. you know all the other moving pieces uh, were were really tricky. Um, so yeah, that that transition from a personal standpoint was was okay. I, don't have dependents and like me and my girlfriend live together and that was a bit tricky, but like we kind of figured out a good operating rhythm. And so that part is that that's how that rolled. Um, as far as, as far as um, like stop stopping hiring completely. So mm-hmm. um, I work for, for KPMG. So what we, we ended up doing is 
like most other large companies, because it was so unclear uh, and first, you know, pandemics happen in a century. Mm-hmm. We don't really have a lot of context in terms of how to like react to something like this. Mm-hmm. Business was so unclear in terms of, you know, being in consulting, all of your money is tied to clients paying you, as you mm-hmm. sure understand. And and so when that wasn't clear and when clients started asking us to, you know, pay later or like, you know, push out their net 45, they want to do a net 90 or something. And, and so that had a direct impact on open roles, right? Because the biggest chunk of um, the biggest chunk of a budget for any company is is always labor, right? And that's naturally connected to recruitment and talent attraction and all those things. And so took a full pause there, except so we took a full pause um, and we sort of got onto a project to like kind of come down to like just our critical roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you're wondering what those critical roles or what what, what thought went into like defining those, mm-hmm. um, funny enough, those ended up, all those critical roles ended up being in digital and in technology. So mm-hmm. uh, because everyone was virtual, uh, cybersecurity was of the of highest importance to the mm-hmm. firm. And so yeah. we kind of expanded, uh, you know, the folks we were looking for in, let's say, um, access management and in incident mm-hmm. response and everything that's cyber related. And so that kind of became more critical for the firm because everyone was virtual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other things kind of followed suit. So any of the more, um, you know, tough to find kind of roles that take us a few months mm-hmm. anyway to attract, mm-hmm. those we kept open, but everything else we kind of shut down and kind of just wanted to see what was out there. And that was mm-hmm. very much what was happening in the industry um, at that time. Mm-hmm. So uh, talking about like trying to find talent, uh, you know, pre uh, pandemic, I remember when I was a job seeker, I used to go to conferences, I used to go to meetups in Toronto in the field I was in or the field I wanted to be in. And these are great ways to like really make a genuine connection with someone else. Uh, And now um, everything has been shifted online. You know, I've tried and I've attended to some like online conferences and online workshops. Uh, but from there, I find sometimes it's much more difficult to create the connection because we reduce that one dimensionality of, of, of the interacting with our person. Um, was that a challenge at the beginning, trying to start interacting, you know, getting like a pipeline of talent coming in and interviewing them on the, uh, you know, through Zoom or whatnot um, versus like, you know, maybe having them come in in-house in and like talking to someone directly? Yeah, so it's interesting, right? I think that if I was, and I have many friends and colleagues like yourself, I'm sure that were that were pushed out of the job market or were let go because of the pandemic. And so, um from that perspective, I can certainly imagine um, like how that would have been like from a talent mm-hmm. standpoint on the other side, we were kind of attracting people, the natural impact of um, a shutdown or a lockdown or people being let go is that the number of applicants increases, right? Mm-hmm. And so because there are more people unemployed and more people out looking for work or just mm-hmm. more people uncertain about job security. Yeah. Right. We had we had we had I wouldn't say there was a big impact to the, to the resumes like applicants mm-hmm. coming in. Um, I don't necessarily always get into the weeds in terms of like managing mm-hmm. applications. But I know that when I did, um, even during the during the like during the first lockdown, um, we didn't see a, a decrease in the number of applicants. And I think mm-hmm. that, that a big part of that was probably people not just also like there's a certain level of brand awareness around the firm yeah. and attracting talent, but also I think individuals were, were just more uncertain. Right. Yeah. Um, individuals that weren't clearly sure if they would really have the job a month or two down uh, down the line would were applying for for roles mm-hmm. um i will just add i think the other piece on being you know kind of putting my candidate hat on um i think it is really tricky i get a chance sometimes to sit on uh, like a 
talking panel, something like this mm-hmm. is maybe not a podcast for like a, you know, um, a group that we work with or a vendor that we work with. And, and a lot of the stuff there, it's just, it's weird because, you know, we do a lot of campus hiring and we mm-hmm. do like tons of experience hire hiring. And a lot of that is creating brand awareness. And, and part of that is being uh, out there and talking to people, right? Like just as much as like you may enjoy going out to a job fair or a career fair or just like a startup networking group or, or what have you, uh, people in my role, um, if, if, you know, they... Um, they should, or I, I definitely do. I enjoy being out there and, and kind of mm-hmm. attending those events. So that was a big change. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I won't say it's the same, like it is totally different. Like I, mm-hmm. um, like you said, like there's a whole sort of avenue of that in, in person connection that's been mm-hmm. removed. Um, so I, I think it is a learning experience. So people are finding um, that at least I am, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but I'm finding that my, virtual meetings are getting better, right? Yeah. Like the efficiency is getting better. You know, they're not as awkward and, you know, they're just get. we're just human beings and we're smart machines. And I think that things are slowly getting better, but there's certainly a learning curve. I agree. Yeah. I remember at the, at the beginning, uh, just trying to get like a virtual coffee chat right. was, uh, a lot harder and, you know, you're hesitant. Uh, right. Uh, and it's also that sometimes the awkward, like, you know, at the beginning, is your connection stable or towards the end when you're trying to say goodbye, it's like end the call and you kind of see that little lag. Yeah. Um, Should I have my camera on? Should I not have my camera yeah. on? You know, all those things. Right? Yeah. And like, um, yeah, I guess now I'm a lot more comfortable behind the screen and a lot more comfortable, you know, just talking to people like, you know, through a video chat. And it seems like the technology has improved a little bit to make it uh, work better overall. Um, also, I believe that... Um, when it comes to Zoom calls and stuff, how do you think uh, a candidate should put their best foot forward uh, when it comes to Zoom calls? Maybe let's, talk, let's talk about some actual practical advice you may give to a, a candidate to put their best foot put foot forward or a best face. How, how would they do that? Because versus like, you know, we're at our homes now, uh, you know, our backgrounds, maybe our bedrooms or like a messy living rooms. Um, what advice would you give to uh, you know a candidate when they're interviewing uh, for a role in an X company and putting their best foot forward and like having like the video um, on? Yeah, I mean it's a good question. Um, I think like and this is just personal preference. You know, some yeah. other folks in talent will maybe maybe tell you something else. Um, at the end of the day, like this is something that is unique, but it's impacting everyone, right? Like working yeah. from home is uh, sort of. Uh, the standard status quo across like all, you know, employers, mm-hmm. the whole market. And so most people, your interviewer is fairly used to at this point interviewing virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, they may have the luxury of, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a home where they can get an office space and mm-hmm. others may be like me, or you have a one bed, one bathroom, downtown Toronto mm-hmm. is a small space mm-hmm. and I'm sharing it with someone. And so that makes it trickier. And, mm-hmm. and so I go into my calls and I encourage my hiring managers as well when I'm with them interviewing someone or if they're doing it on their own to, to allow that person just to think from your own perspective, right? Mm-hmm. If someone was interviewing at this right moment, um, you know, um, you may find someone passes by behind me or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the fire alarm goes off. And, mm-hmm. and so I think and that's happened many times or someone yeah. has a child and they're, you know, just they're crying or they need something. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really important now because we're interviewing someone in their home. It's very different than asking someone to come in to like the office, you know, and, into the ivory towers or whatever right and so it's uh, the first thing i will say from like a practical standpoint because you asked me for practical steps is to 
is to just own the space you're in, right? And it's don't try, don't apologize too much for for you know uh, you know your your uh, fire alarm going off or some kind of noise outside because it's not in your control and the other person fully understands it, right? And if they don't understand it, and this might be too harsh, but if they don't understand it, um, that's just maybe it's maybe it's not a good fit because mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, like this is not something that's unique. If my expectation going to the interview is going to be like you better go and find yourself a quiet space. You know, find this white background. I don't care if your house doesn't have, you know, like they're just yeah. so you have to have reasonable expectations. And so if I'm a candidate, if I'm advising someone, one is to make is to just remember that this is impacting everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, two is to ensure that if you're on video, um, you know, just treat it like you would if you're in an actual actual mm-hmm. interview. And that's what I like to do um, mm-hmm. right now, even though this is a podcast, like I can't I can't see you. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this is just it's. Uh, it's it's important to just uh, treat this like any other conversation, right? Any other any other coffee chat, right? And I think that's yeah. that's really really important. Mm-hmm. I, I like how you said like we have to like really accept and own our space, and I, I like how you also said that uh, on the other end of things, uh, as a recruiter or hiring manager, you should also be accepting that the, everyone's in their own homes, and we should be reasonable on that front. Um, let's talk about uh, trying to make connections, uh, mm-hmm. networking. Um, I, I said before that one avenue of networking that I used to use a lot was going through these conferences or meetups in Toronto for industry-specific topics, and I could meet really interesting characters there. And now everything has been shifted online. Uh, you connect with people through LinkedIn, possibly Twitter. Um, I find LinkedIn has been a lot more active uh, now more than ever. Uh, people are posting all kinds of things from uh, uh, their professional uh, experiences to the, uh, sharing stories of them getting laid off or even just showing their vulnerability mm-hmm. of, um, of like you know going through a tough time in that during a pandemic uh, i had a candidate uh, not a candidate i had a um, uh, interviewee uh i would say a month ago for on, on the podcast and she said she spent like five months looking for a job applying to like hundreds and hundreds of applications and facing rejection after rejection and she was very open and honest and very vulnerable and that garnered like so much attention to it so i find linkedin as a platform has become a lot more human. Uh, people are much more willing to share like their more vulnerable, more human side or their failures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also find LinkedIn now, it's a lot more easier to, to connect to the other person because everyone's on the platform. I find like my response rates of like me cold messaging someone a lot higher um, than normal, normally uh, pre-pandemic. So as a candidate and I'm looking for a job, how would you would say one best approach in cold uh, messaging someone on LinkedIn? Yeah. Um, first off, I think I, I agree with that. So what's happened as a result of this, I mean, the good, um, there, there are many bads, obviously, to the pandemic and certainly outdo the goods. But the good from a from a candidate standpoint, or also just from generally lead generation sales, if you're someone who does a lot of cold emails or cold calls or what have you, what's definitely changed is that um, anyone who is working 
um, are definitely on LinkedIn right now, definitely on their platform, definitely online. And mm -hmm. so if you're going to do a cold message, if you're going to do a cold call, the chance of that person picking up that Skype call, that Teams call or their actual mm -hmm. phone are just a lot higher because they're definitely not on the go and they're mm -hmm. definitely not out, right, out and about. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, first things first, um, I, I think that uh, obviously LinkedIn has, has evolved into this kind of massive, um, you know, ATS plus, Mm -hmm. candidate sort of talent platform and all this massive audience and so linkedin is is um, a phenomenal tool is only uh, enhanced in terms of it's like uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know ability to connect people um in terms of like how do you connect when you don't have that person to person connection which is kind yeah. of your question um it's it's tough right and i'm not going to go out and say that hey like this is it's made it easier in any way it is tough and it, it was it, it, some may argue that you know if you're good if you can present well and if you can make if you're the kind of person that can make a good impression very quickly mm -hmm. um you would for sure be well better suited for an in-person environment than just a an online digital application environment mm -hmm. like your your friend who applied for many jobs and maybe didn't get didn't get a hit till much later and so that is surely the story right so one one thing i will say and you may have heard this before is um like being honest about um about the the, the actual story right so to be able to build a connection with someone let's say and Recruiters are in an interesting category because like in my job or in my, my team of recruiters, like our job is to like receive a lot of those inputs, right? So we yeah. do get, you know, you can bombard with a lot of information and everyone's kind of like looking. And if you work for a big enough company that people have heard of, they'll definitely, mm -hmm. your reach outs will, 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 will definitely yeah, be higher. A lot more, yeah. A lot more. And so it gets, it gets tricky to like, you know, first get through everyone. I'm not going to tell you that, yeah, we go, we go through every single person that yeah. reaches out. That gets trickier because the volume is so much higher and you have a day job outside mm -hmm. of just, you know, greetings and hello and, and you know, connecting with new people. Um, and so what becomes really important is what, what becomes crucial from a candidate standpoint is to make sure that A, you've done some research, right? It's not just mm -hmm. Andrew reaching out to me and say, hey, Harris, I want to build a connection with you because mm -hmm. I love KPMG or like I love data and I love, you know, like what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. It's and to build a connection with someone, especially given the the environment that you're set up in is mm -hmm. harder than it was before COVID. What do you do? So to, to build that sort of relationship with someone, um, first things first is um, add some context to your message. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to reach out to me uh, and you've seen that I've been in the industry, let's say eight or 10 years and you know where I went to school or you've just just have a little bit more of mm -hmm. that warmth in your message. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is doesn't happen often. You'd be surprised. Right? A lot of people will just hit connect on LinkedIn and want to just be on your followers list or whatever it is, right? Uh, but not really reach out, right? Yeah. Um, one, one is that. The second thing I will say is that if I'm interested in company A, and that's the company that I want to work for, um, and I have kind of looked, and LinkedIn provides like, I don't even think you would have to go beyond LinkedIn at this point because everything mm -hmm. is there, right? Mm -hmm. And they've enhanced the tool so much now in the last even six months uh, that you can you can literally not have to go anywhere beyond that. So, um, you know, do your, do your research, find out who this person is. If I'm going to be interested in company A, like I said, I'll go and find out who all the folks are in, mm -hmm. let's say it's company A and I'm a software engineer and I want to go in and work in this certain kind of area. Um, mm -hmm. I'll find out who the talent attraction manager or who the recruiters are for that group right mm -hmm. um you can you can go and see how you're connected to that person it's it's a lot easier than it was before right mm -hmm. um reach out to like decision makers directly that's always a good 
of best practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, build a relationship with a development manager, right? Or mm-hmm. if you're in data science, maybe it's the data science leader, whoever, whoever that might be, right? And so reaching out to hiring managers, reaching out to decision makers, reaching out to talent, um, mm-hmm. you know, reaching out to HR business partners, they're very, very integral to the whole team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you do reach out, um, have a semblance of, um, like have a more nuanced approach, I guess is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say. Right. Like if you give me some some reference to uh, where we had a conversation or a reference to maybe you heard me on a panel or maybe you heard me on a podcast, like those things make a message warmer in this world that is now that is harder for a candidate. Right. I'm not going to say it's easier um, today than it was when it was in person. So I had a, a guest on the other day and he was he's a hiring manager and he for a startup and he posted a job posting online for like a data analyst position, I believe. And he said, when you, you, when you post online, you get like a thousand applications within a, within a span of week. However, he said of a thousand of those applications, only five to 10 people reached out to him on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. to build that connection. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he, and he's like the only one going through this. He works for a smaller company and, he said he kind of ignored all the inbound um, inbound resumes because he didn't have time to go through all that. However, he was able to find time to really uh, look through the people who actually reached out to him. So he said that it's so important to build that connection because especially now, and you've mentioned it, like more and more applicants are out there. Uh, you know, sometimes I see a job posting go up on LinkedIn within like two days. I, I see like 500 application plus that right. one, one job posting. And obviously for smaller companies, it's much more, I guess, tougher to kind of go through everything uh, versus a, maybe a larger company like KPMG where they have the resources and people to actually maybe go through every single um, resume. Uh, however, I think it's still so important to really make that connection. Okay, so I have a I have a question. What is a strategy for a job seeker? Say for like a data analyst like me, um, should I reach out to the recruiter versus should I reach out to the hiring manager or maybe someone on the team? Because I think I think there's different strategies for each one of them. And I talked mm-hmm. to another person before. And he said, and he used to work at HR, and he said, uh, from an HR uh, standpoint, when you are a recruiter and someone's reaching out to you, uh, they're only looking at you if you are, say, qualified based on like whatever your LinkedIn or your resume. uh, And you might have a better bet if you reach out to someone on the team and they get to refer you because Mm -hmm. when they refer you, they have the bonus and whatnot. And uh, maybe... Can you share me some of your thoughts on that in terms of like strategies on the different types of people to reach out in a, in a company like say KPMG? Yeah. And I mean, I'll talk about uh, the, the employer, like my firm that I, that I work for, but it also just in general, I think that it's important for people like it, they might find this useful. So um, I agree with, I agree with what you're saying. So um, your earlier example of uh, your, your, uh, the other person was on the podcast that we're talking mm-hmm. about um, the first 10 people that reached out or five people that reached out to them on LinkedIn. So just on that note, I think that's really important. So I've been a job applicant, right. And I've been like on the other end of it. And I think that that is, it's not, it's not talked about enough. So, um, I remember when I was going out and applying for jobs, one of the first things I would do 
like applying for like, putting a resume together and you everyone already had has a resume you may edit a cover letter a little bit really it's not you go on linkedin it's so easy to apply and most people will apply you know even passive seekers will just apply for a job mm -hmm. to see what happens right and so yes the, the number of applicants and just the 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 um, the total pool is usually fairly high unless you're looking for a very tough uh, to fill kind of position so um what i'm saying is uh, is having been on that side um, like when I was applying for jobs, I would always think of how can I beyond kind of what LinkedIn, LinkedIn is telling me that, oh, you have a second or a third degree connection with this person. How can I like within my own tree, network tree, um, how can I connect with somebody at Salesforce or how can I connect with somebody at Facebook or Twitter or KPMG, wherever it is that I'm trying to go. Right. Mm -hmm. And so th that approach is, is really, really important. Yes, absolutely. Reach out to the hiring manager and, you know, uh, try to build a connection and, you know, use some of those tactics of having done your research and have a warmer message and reference something, but use your network and the power of your network, um, whether it's friends or friends or friends to see if you can get a referral and mm -hmm. getting a referral is, you know, it's more, it's easier said than done because if someone is going to refer you, that's kind of, it, they're kind of putting a stamp on your resume, right? And saying that, Hey, you know, my employer that I work for, I'm going to kind of, you know, my reputation is kind of on the line if I'm going to say that this person's referral. So if I get a message from someone says that says, please refer me for this job, chances are I'm not going to do that because I don't know the person, right? Mm -hmm. But if I've had, you know, person A and B, you know, contact me and say, talk to this candidate, you know, I think, you know, they might be good for your, for a role that you have now or down the line, or they've done, they're interested in the kind of work you do. Um, that creates a warmer connection with that person. Mm -hmm. I am more likely, or that other person is more likely to refer them into a job mm -hmm. if, you know, I've kind of built that initial connection with them. Or there's some some semblance of how that person is coming through to me, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you an example. If someone applies, is applying for a role, um, you use an example of a data analyst. So let's say that, you know, someone is applying for a role as a data analyst and, mm -hmm. you know, they reached out to the hiring manager and they said, um, you know, I graduated from this program. I saw this job was posted two or three months ago. It's no longer posted, but I just wanted to reach out to you and say that this is the kind of work I do. I would love some time to talk to you, mm -hmm. right? Chances are in today's world, like if you have uh, the right kind of experience, obviously first make sure that you're qualified for that kind of job. But mm -hmm. if chances are in today's world, um, given that everything's virtual, people don't really have a lot of, you know, this kind of, you know, strangers getting on the phone together. It's not happening as much, right? Like I'm not running into strangers on the street, right? So people are more open to having um, phone conversations and video conversations. So reaching out to them and, and, sort of not just saying that I'm interested in the job, but reaching out to to build a relationship with someone mm -hmm. is is really, really important, right? There's no role posted today, but you've done your research. So you know that a role was posted three months ago and chances are they're going to post one eventually again as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think those things are really, really important. Okay. So you said, um, one, think about the idea uh, of just trying to build a genuine connection. Uh, don't really expect much uh, from the other person. However, just have them, I guess, uh, be on your mind. So whenever in the future, uh, there's a role opening, you can go back to them. You've already established that line of connection before and they remember you. Uh, it's a lot higher. There's a higher chance for them to one, maybe refer to you and or have you go in through that interview process, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And one, one other thing I will add is um, that idea, right? Of like, I post a rule, I get 
200 applicants, right? Mm-hmm. But only four or five of me reached out to me separately mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. That is true. So I can guarantee that that absolutely happens every time. And I would agree with, with that other person that those are the those four or five will always kind of um, stay in your mind because mm-hmm. they reached out to you separately and you got it, you know, on your LinkedIn and, and you know, there's just how memory works. They just kind of stand mm-hmm. out. You've seen their face on LinkedIn and you just know, right? And so I, I do agree with that. What I will say is that most firms, uh, maybe maybe small ones have a tougher time with this, but uh, most most firms with a robust kind of recruitment setup, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I would I, I can assure you that we do that for sure, uh, but you have to go through all of your applicants. Absolutely. I, mm-hmm. I don't disagree with the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, if Andrew reached out to me on LinkedIn separately, that he will certainly stay in my mind, mm-hmm. but I will also still go through the rest of the 100 mm-hmm. candidates, 200 candidates, because people are just different and you never know what kind of candidates in there. So, I mean, definitely still apply, but I highly encourage people to also reach out individually. Mm-hmm. So people who are say out of a job now and um, you know, say they're unemployed for some time, maybe due to a pandemic or maybe they're transitioning into a new role. I think you can speak more for like a data science, data analytics standpoint. How can one person show that they're still active in the field or they're still refining their knowledge even though they've been out of a job or they don't have like a formal title uh for example i guess in data science one thing they could do is like work on portfolio projects or maybe contribute to uh you know towards data science on medium articles on whatever data science articles they want to write um yeah, what advice do you have to those those folks who are out of a job now? However, they want to get into exposition. What can what can they do in the meantime uh, while they're job searching to kind of showcase that oh, they're active, they're looking, uh, they're being proactive with the with the field? Yeah, and, and it's hard, right? Because a lot of the times, um, you know, the, the things that I'm going to talk about, which is like, you know, taking on additional learnings and, you know, doing certifications and, you know, going and, you know, getting some kind of like data science blog going or a podcast or what have you on Medium or any other platform. Um, those things are um, individuals that are, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say that when I'm in a position where I'm certainly grateful that I'm hired, like I have a full time job and, you know, I'm not, you know, sort of in the job market It is easy to say that. But I um, and I and I certainly empathize with individuals that, you know, will can push back and say, well, I don't have the kind of time to be able to do that because, you know, I need to go out and earn money. So that's a surely a reality. So I want to keep that in mind before I say this, but um, purely on the talent recruitment whether it's data science and analytics, whether it is UX research and UX design, whatever whatever the, the tech sort of umbrella is, it is super, super important to right now in this time, if you find yourself to have the luxury of extra time mm-hmm. when you are applying for jobs or what have you, to be able to take on extra things. So individuals that uh, in the, you know, we were talking earlier about how the job market's kind of picking up, especially in tech, and we're finding a lot of roles posted for everything from development to engineering and, and mm-hmm. so on, um, people that, you know, there's two kinds of candidates, or I guess three kinds of candidates you're seeing, right? One is the same kind of candidate you would have seen before the pandemic, who's kind of pro- good progression, has been in a job for a while, is just applying for this job under me because um, it's a good time to make a move, right? The other kind of candidate can be someone who has uh, unfortunately been impacted by the, by the pandemic, has lost their job, and is now, you know, kind of supplying and looking for work, right? Mm-hmm. And they may have that gap of like four, five, six, seven months where mm-hmm. they were let go in March and now it's almost end of the year and they haven't worked, right? And that's all you see on the resume, you know, 
last position ended March 2020. And since then, it's kind of, you know, there's nothing mm-hmm. there. And the third kind of candidate is the person who I would probably put at the top, right, is the individual that has, again, with that luxury of time and, and mm-hmm. finance, right, that is really important. But the third kind of candidate that really is is at the top echelon is an individual who was maybe let go in March, right, mm-hmm. and has since then, if you're a data engineer, maybe you've taken on an AWS certification to like get more like nuanced understanding of mm-hmm. how cloud works and how engineering really works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you may be an individual that has taken on, if you're a UX designer that was let go, maybe you started getting really hands-on into like research and understanding how like, um, you know, forums, research forums work or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that from a talent perspective and also from a hiring age perspective, because I get, I get an opportunity to get involved um, quite a bit in hiring manager conversations and feedback on candidates or individuals that have, uh, what have you done when adversity hit you, right? And so when it was really, really tough, did you react um, by no, making no change at all? Or did you react by realizing that the dynamics of this landscape are fully changing? And so as a result of that, I must change and adapt as well. And that change means that if I have some extra time, if I've been fortunate to be a Canadian and I have, you know, serve checks coming in and what have you, mm-hmm. maybe I'll take this time to make sure that, yeah, everything else that's super important is taken care of, mm-hmm. but I take on additional learnings. And so mm-hmm. um, if, if you're looking for like specific things that people should take on, uh, while they're while they're unemployed, um, I can you know I can certainly tell you that there is there are many there's it you could I don't want to bucket anyone and say that you should definitely do this one certification yeah. and if you have that and you apply for a job you're in the top I I don't want to I don't want to say that and the reason I stop myself from saying that is because there is it, it really limits the candidate right an individual who applies for a data analyst job or a data scientist job and has the right qualifications mm-hmm. maybe graduated from a good degree or diploma program uh, you know has been able to show really good models that they have created and they can really talk at length about putting something from POC till the end mm-hmm. on the resume those things are phenomenal and then i see that okay this person got let go in march of 2020 and since then you know they've written some phenomenal blogs on mm-hmm. um you know how the pandemic job hunt for example or they've mm-hmm. done some phenomenal work on how to create a really great algorithm for example right or how to write really good code um or you know so i think it's what i'm trying to say is that it's really important to be able to articulate and showcase um, all of the additional things that you did mm-hmm. when this kind of once in a lifetime event hit you right mm-hmm. yeah and um I was you know, thinking about like what you said about uh, you know trying to you know make use of your time because at the end of the day, I find that when I was job searching, um, there's only so much hours a day you can put job searching. It's 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 tough. Uh, it's demoralizing at times. It, it can get really boring at times. I think it's quite important that while you job search, you should also find time to. If you have like the privilege to do so, to do these extra side projects that showcases your skills. But speaking of um, side projects, uh, say within data science or even in tech in general, um, I talked to another hiring manager once and he said that he doesn't really care if someone, you know, did a certificate and posted on, you know, LinkedIn or whatnot, uh, because he feels like everyone can go through a basic SQL certificate or basic Python certificate. Uh, when it comes to like these projects, he wants to see uh, those certificates applied. One example he used was uh, uh, somebody can, especially during the pandemic, uh, 
go out to like local restaurants and ask for their data and see if you can like come up with like some uh, some uh, data analytical report for them in order for them to help uh, help that restaurant maybe identify certain you know key menu items that uh, are booming during this pandemic. Uh, thinking outside the box where you actually apply uh, your skills to say a more real life uh, example, like have a product out of it. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think again, like that is, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a really good note. I think that what's important here to keep in mind that um, that is hard to do, right? What we're asking yeah. for here is for everyone to be highly innovative in a once in a lifetime uh, event, right? So I will agree with that, but I will also say that that is probably not the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, um, you know, I knew people in the neighborhood and, you know, who were, you know, like myself had, a, we have a lot of, um, in the area that I live in, there are a lot of like uh, small restaurants and small businesses. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you are fortunate and you have the ability to be able to go out and help support or in my building, there are a lot of people that are um, elderly. And so being able to support mm-hmm. if they need to go out and grab groceries, and that's a more simple, non-technical example, like mm-hmm. versus building out a dashboard that can help maybe a business mm-hmm. become more efficient. So these are, um, I don't think that that is as common as one would like it to be. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of connected to what I was talking about earlier is that if someone can show, um, you know, that six months of unemployment, um, you know, what they did during those six months of unemployment, um, if you did a Python certification and, you know, you work for a bank and, you know, if, if that's great. But, uh, you know, how does that, I guess, help or facilitate mm-hmm. um, your own career? And how did that mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't necessarily have to be how did you apply it within these six months? How did mm-hmm. you? Did you, you know, you got a Python certification and so what did you go and program in these six months that you were able Mm -hmm. to help? It doesn't necessarily have to be that. I mean, that would be great and that candidate would definitely stand out. But I will take a step back and I'll say that even if someone can show me and explain it to me and walk me through the why, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if I were to tell you, Andrew, like I've been unemployed for six months and, you know, I come from talent and, you know, like my background's kind of like in talent technology and I'm really passionate about digital transformation. Uh, and so you're like, oh, wow. So like, you know, but in six months that I was unemployed, I decided to go on and, and you know, really get hands-on with CSS, HTML and JavaScript because mm-hmm. I'm super passionate about bringing front-end design and, and development. Mm-hmm. You, as a hiring manager, you may be, you may be curious, but you may not fully understand why I would do that because I've just been talking about how passionate I am about talent and recruitment. And so, yes, it has to connect. It has to make sense. Mm-hmm. But we won't always, I feel, find candidates that have been been able to put that to use within this short six-month period of time, right? So if you're mm-hmm. taking on some new learnings and you can tell me why you chose to do that, mm-hmm. I can, I'll put a lot of value to that, regardless of mm-hmm. if you were able to put that to use or not. So it's just as important to have a, a solid why, and I guess when you if you if you're creating some sort of product uh, with the skills you learned, uh, uh, that product is intuitive for someone to kind of like jump in, look at it real quickly, be like, oh, I see what you did there. So uh, let's you know maybe transition this to a more data science, data analytics um, career um, uh, talk right now since uh, you, you've been in this field. Um, I would say data science in general has you know, exploded the past three, four years. Uh, there are boot camps popping up around Canada and like the United States with uh, data science programs. And 
what uh, can you say right now, maybe a higher level of like the data science industry in Canada specifically? And like, how has the pandemic affected that? Has it, you know, maybe sped up the data science industry or grow or, or like what, what, what is it? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, data analytics um, in in Canada and also just uh, technology uh, as an industry in Canada in the last, I would say, you know, data analytics is still fairly new, but tech in general um, in Canada has exploded, not just because, you know, we've the federal government done some really, really great things in directing money in the right direction. Uh, we're fortunate that we have an educated population. And so like technology is really, really blown up, right? Um, data analytics in, in very specifically in the last, I would say, three to four years, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, if you look at it from a higher level, and I think mm-hmm. that's what you were asking, um, I see the economy, the Canadian economy that has primarily been one uh, that has been agro-based, you know, we, we export a lot of raw material, you know, we export a lot of agriculture, a lot of um, wood and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I see that uh, as an industry, um, you know, as an economy completely changing, not right away because it's so huge, mm-hmm. but over the next uh, five to 10 years towards mm-hmm. completely, um, you know, just tech focus where we can be in a situation where we can be uh, one of the largest technology hubs in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll give you a number and this will give you some perspective maybe uh, on or your, or your listeners some perspective on what things are looking like. So we did this research two years ago that talked about the shortage of technical talent in the Canadian market, mm-hmm. specific just to data analytics, data science, data engineering, right? Uh, and this includes people that are basic Python programmers all the way up mm-hmm. to like cloud engineers, right? That are like public cloud, private cloud, all that. Um, the shortage in the Canadian market uh, in 2021 is something like 100,000 people just mm-hmm. in from, from a shortage. Like these are people that don't wow. exist in the country. Right. Like we don't have those people. The mm-hmm. universities are not producing graduates at the speed at which employers are asking them to. Right. And so what does that mean? And the total shortage they talked about was 200,000. The yeah. 200,000, I gave you the 100,000 number because 100 is just in data analytics. Mm-hmm. The other 100 include software developers, software engineers, mm-hmm. software architects, all mm-hmm. of that other stuff. Right. Um, and so. Uh, when I look at that, right, it can be concerning that, you know, we're kind of the innovation is kind of stifled, you know, like, you know, you know if we if a company like Shopify wants to hire a thousand people, where is it going to hire those people from? Mm-hmm. And and so I think the government kind of saw that, too. And their response to that with you know, something that was launched two years ago called the global talent stream, as well as some of the things that are happening in the world that are leading to global talent being attracted to Canada are all very, very positive steps. Mm-hmm. Um so to answer your question in a really long way, I think that the, the data analytics industry and data science and engineering, but also technology in Canada um, is is rapidly growing. And so right now, if you look at what's happening in the industry as a result of the pandemic and, you know, the, the economic slowdown, um, the only companies that have um, that have really still seen a rapid growth or a very quick return mm-hmm. to not just their revenue, but also their hiring and also their haste to innovate mm-hmm. or technology companies mm-hmm. uh, and the kind of people they're hiring for that like in Canada, the biggest employers uh, on the corporate side are the banks. So the big five mm-hmm. banks and most of them have, if you look into it and, and you know, even if your listeners look into it, most of them have a, a very aggressive targets to build out their data science mm-hmm. divisions. That is the reason why you'll find many small 
colleges and programs that have kind of uh, set up and really good ones that have a very good reputation um, that are churning out a lot of graduates mm-hmm. at a very fast fast pace because people have realized that the only there are two answers to this shortage in the in the data analytics field and the technology field one answer is to be more uh, have more of an immigrant friendly culture which we already kind of do mm-hmm. but to set up something like the global talent stream which was set up in 2017 to attract that kind of talent so that's mm-hmm. one answer the other answer is either you know all the universities start um, producing more graduates which can't happen because everyone has a three mm-hmm. or four year degree or we realize there are people that are non-technical, let's say someone like myself who's not an engineer, that mm-hmm. realizes that, hey, like, how do I become a full-stack developer? How do I become mm-hmm. a data analyst? Is to do those pivot programs that allow mm-hmm. people to shift their careers. Those, those two things are, are newer, and mm-hmm. you mentioned one of them, uh, but they are definitely part of the answer um, mm-hmm. to continuing this innovation. Yeah, I, I, I think I read a stat um, some time ago that I think Canada currently, under the current, government attracts i guess they want to their target for immigrants are around 300 to 400,000 uh, people a year to move to this country and so it's a really huge brain gain mm-hmm. uh, for canada which is actually good for canada uh, but let's talk about uh, the people who are you know obviously i've also noticed different uh, universities in canada have all these new master programs uh, churning out business analysts or churning out data scientists. For example, I think Queens has like a master of management of AI. And I had a friend who went through the program and she told me it was very tech focused, but it's also very management focused. And I think Western has an art new program up and coming too. So I guess that's one avenue of churning out more students. But like you said, it's a very, uh, very limited uh, amount of people per year. What about uh, the people who go through these boot camps? And, um, you know, like you said, there's a bunch of shortages uh, in the tech workforce. And not everyone comes with a PhD background or a master's background who who is much easier for them to go into a data science um, career track. Because, for right. example, PhD, we all, we all do just they, they just do research. You know, they're working with R. They're, they're very familiar with these advanced statistical c- concepts. Uh, what do you say to those folks who are transitioning, who decide to do a career pivot? <clears throat> yeah, into the, um, into the field. Yeah, no. So um, a couple of programs that you mentioned, the Queens one, the MMEI, but also the MMA that's been around for mm-hmm. a little bit longer. A uh, few others that all the big universities have, and the smaller ones too. Um, I mean, I highly encourage individuals to do those programs, and I'll tell you why. Because um, I mean, these are different, certainly different than you know the, the other ones that are. Um, that are more of those colleges or those those sort of programs that are set up that are kind of pivot programs. They're, mm-hmm. These are university degrees that we're talking about now. So um, certainly a bit different in terms of how they're structured, um, but I recommend them because for two reasons. Um, and I'll kind of connect what you were saying about PhDs and fellows earlier too, to this answer. So, um, you know, a, a um, in an ideal scenario, right, um, you can attract the best kind of candidates and the best kind of people for the industry in technology um, are those people that are that are technical, that are technical enough to be able to get hands-on with code. And, and you know, that's your gig. That's great. If you're more of a data engineer, then, you know, maybe being able to do all those ETL tasks, that's your hands-on work, right? Um, an ideal candidate is always someone who has that hands-on mm-hmm. capability uh, and is also a great business professional with something mm-hmm. like that MMAI or that MMA will teach you. Those mm-hmm. degrees, the MMA, for example, the Master's of Management Analytics, is not an incredibly deep technical degree. 
right? The people who end up doing the best are those that are coming from a comp sci or more of like that STEM background. Mm -hmm. But those degrees are really popular because they can take a deep technical person, a deep technical undergraduate person, and and seamlessly kind of move them into that 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 really sweet spot of business and technical. Mm -hmm. And so that's why those degrees are really, really great, right? Whether it's Queens or U of T or Waterloo or Ivy, wherever that is. And so, mm -hmm. So I would say that I highly encourage anyone to be able to do that, right? Um, it is for the technical side. For someone who is, um, you know, coming from a PhD program in, let's say, physics or, you know, coming from an applied mathematics background, naturally, I agree with you, they are well suited for or better suited, one can say, for a career in data science or data engineering, right? That's a given, you know, they're kind of think logic, they think mathematics, they think equations. So it makes sense, right? What I will say, though, is a lot of those people are coming into the industry not really having, like, no one's teaching you Python in, you know, an applied math degree, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of really foundational core, right? Mm -hmm. um, R, yes, a lot more popular, you know, but even those people that are coming from purely um, more academic backgrounds, someone who's done recently done a PhD and let's say applied psychology, that person is also just as well suited for a career in data science, someone who did a PhD in physics. And I, and I say that because um, those individuals more often than not, and we're finding this is kind of the cusp of, of uh, edge of innovation now where I'm finding that there are also colleges and those kind of pivot, pro not pivot, but like those uh, sort of hands-on, technical programs being set up just for fellows so if you're a fellow who's graduated from a phd lesson applied psychology there are programs being put in place by canadians and, and or folks in the u.s that will get you hands-on with some of the more technical technological tools like python that is maybe not taught uh, as part of a phd program so it's kind of a bit of both but i would just to, just to sort of end this answer to this question i would say that there's no uh, perfect path right? Mm -hmm. the, the PhD and stuff will really set you up for a good technical career, but it's not a perfect path. You know, the super business focused stuff is great, but it doesn't really set you up for that sort of sweet spot, right? And so if in an ideal scenario, the best candidates in the market are those individuals that have the, the technical capabilities to get hands-on, have been able to pick up those skills because they went to school or did some programs, but that the business side is really, really important, especially if you're going to try and grow your career in the first five, 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. So... You've mentioned that uh, data science, and I think you kind of hint that uh, you know there's a business aspect to data science. Um, in my opinion, one reason why I was uh, so intrigued by data science, uh, I had a little taste of it uh, when I was in university. But I went to like a business school in university, so I didn't really have much of a technical hands-on experience of you know the pure coding and whatnot. So which is one of the reasons why I went through like a, a pivot program. I went through a boot camp to learn at least the foundations of these technical uh, skills like Python. So in my opinion, when I looked at data science, I thought it was the perfect intersection between like pure tech of like a full stack developer, full software developer versus like someone who's like a pure non-technical role or like a business role. Because one, Yes, you are still using these tools, these Python tools, SQL, R, and you're, at the end of the day, these tools are, are these uh, languages are easy to pick up. Uh, but the harder aspect of data science is uh, when you create these models, you you evaluate them is the decision-making process of like, why we do this? Why do we do that? 
uh, the, 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 the statistical aspect of data science. So for me, I find it the perfect intersection. But however, I, I've been hearing, I've been talking, a lot, talking to a lot of people. Some people say data science is more CS versus more leading to CS versus business. And some people say it's more business versus CS. What, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I mean, I can give you sort of the, the like my perspective on it, obviously. Uh, it's the reason why I talk about that sort of um, happy medium, right? Mm-hmm. Is because I truly feel, and I can, I can tell you that um, from a hiring standpoint, a lot of the hiring managers, at least where I work, um, and I would probably say that most of the industry, um, the reason you're always looking, especially in the world of consulting, the reason mm-hmm. that that CS piece and that business piece is is important is because in whether you're someone with an entrepreneurial spirit or if you're working in consulting or if you're someone who is just looking to like start your career, mm-hmm. right? The reason why it's important is to give you an example, um, you know, if you've got more of that business piece and you can go and accompany a senior person, a head of data science, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who's very technical, comes from a super uh, technical background, has obviously gained a lot of t- uh, business expertise. You can go on a meeting with that person, right? Mm-hmm. To a client, to a big or small client, and you can uncover and, and do a really good intake session where you kind of gather those requirements and you can understand what the problem is without getting too technical, right? Mm-hmm. Sales is not really talked about as much because, um, mm-hmm. you know, someone who's a data scientist will not necessarily think of sales as sales, but, but sales is a core component of every company, right? Mm-hmm. If you have the ability as a, as a good data scientist to go on a meeting with your, with your partner or with your, with your manager and be able to get into that meeting and understand and uncover um, the why of what the business problems are. Because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do with your technical solution is to answer that why, right? You're trying to answer, you're going to build a model that answers a lot of those questions around, you know, whatever the problem is. But for that first piece to happen, right, you have to have a really good understanding of business. And 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 those skills are, are, are harder to define. Soft skills are always harder to define, right? It's not really writing some good code. And so being able to uncover what a problem is by asking the right questions, mm-hmm. right? And so those things, um, I don't I don't ever say that it's, hey, it's business or CS. Like certainly you'll find that more people in the industry are coming from computer science backgrounds for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that business piece is, is the reason I emphasize that so much is because for you to be able, for you to be really successful, again, within those kind of umbrellas, right? So we're thinking consulting, we're thinking entrepreneurial, or just people who are earlier on in their career, right? They don't want to get pigeonholed into one kind of work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is to have a really good balance between the two. And if you're a new sort of graduate looking to get into the industry, uh, mm-hmm. or if you've just gotten a new job, um, try to get exposed as much as you can to client work, to being mm-hmm. on meetings, to be on business calls, because it's going to teach you how to ask good questions and hence just make you a good, a, a better uh, data scientist. Wow. Well, I think we had a fantastic conversation uh, so far in this podcast. However, I have to end it soon. Okay. Uh, uh, thank you for your time. However, uh, towards the end of my show, I always give 30 seconds to a minute Right. Uh, for my guests to kind of talk about anything they want to talk about. Uh, so the floor is yours. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Well, first off, thank you for for inviting me. This has been great. Uh, I always love doing this kind of stuff. Um, if you haven't noticed, I love to talk. So I'm glad that you told me that it's over and we shouldn't go on for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, my plug is that I talked about the global talent stream a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, I really, really believe that Canada is to is a place for be to, to be for all technology folks. Um, you know, we have a great startup environment. Uh, we have a really, really good and innovative um, sort of uh, economy and we have all the right sort of ingredients. So a uh, passion project for me on the side, apart from my full-time job is to, is to create a platform that I've been working on that connects global talent with Canadian startups. Mm-hmm. Um, we're called Codratix, so that's C-O-D-E-R-A-T-I-C-S. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all, it's all, it's in the works. So you're not going to find a lot of stuff out there if you go and search. But mm-hmm. um, that's sort of my plug. It's more, it's more to come on it. Uh, we're building it out, and the idea here is to connect global talent with Canadian companies that are finding it hard, and Canadian startups that are finding it hard uh, to to attract kind of the, the kind of talent that they need. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Harris. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. This is the end of the show. Thank you for tuning into the Pandemic Job Hunt podcast. As always, I would love to get feedback, so don't hesitate to get in touch through my Twitter at Andrew H.N. Barry or LinkedIn. 